Welcome to the weekly update where we go in-depth with a particular topic. And here on episode 216, I'm joined by Bree Marinia. Welcome, Bree. Thanks, Daniel. So, Bree, today we're talking about Bulletin 2732 and Salary Circular 801, which provides for implementation guidance with respect to the Health and Allied Managers and Administration Workers Agreement, which was voted up by eligible employees this week. Shortly, you'll be taking us through the implementation guide, which was attached to Bulletin 2732. So we'd encourage uh, members to have a copy of that in front of them. So before we start, could you take members through what to expect by way of implementation advice over the coming months? Yes, yeah, so on screen, we'll show a roadmap for implementation advice. So those that are listening, we'll talk you through it. Um, the items in green uh, for those that are watching are items that we've already concluded with. So obviously, uh, yesterday being the 16th of March, uh, the uh, sorry on Wednesday the 16th of March the agreement uh, outcome was known yesterday being the 17th of March we lodged the agreement with the Fair Work Commission and the bulletins uh, so the bulletin 2732 and salary circular 801 was issued um, and uh, obviously today members will be watching podcast 216 we have our EBA implementation forum on the 1st of April on the same day podcast 218 will be issued and that'll be talking about the management and an admin classification structure. Two weeks later, podcast 220 will be issued and that will talk about the health and allied classification changes that were effective from 1 July 2021 that you'll have to implement retrospectively. A fortnight later, podcast 222, the Richie Benno podcast, uh, will be discussing the changes to the agreement effective from 1 July 2022. Uh, and then a fortnight later, which will be the 13th of May, will be a podcast 224, which will be the early implementation issues. So in that list, you mentioned a EBA implementation forum. Um, so that's on the 1st of April. How do our members register for that? So Bulletin 2732 contained a link for people to register. The forum will be held remotely via Microsoft Teams from 11am till 2pm. We'll be presenting jointly with representatives of the HWU. Okay, so moving on to the topic of the podcast, let's start with Salary Circular 801. So Salary Circular 801 is not particularly different to other Salary Circulars that members would have seen before. Um, there's a couple of things that are new, namely some new pay codes, which Yvonne has helpfully highlighted in yellow, which will require adding to your payroll systems. And Bulletin 2732, I know it came out yesterday, which was Thursday the 17th of March. So can you briefly summarise this for members? So it opens with the good news that the ballot was successful uh, and it provides for the proportion of yes and no votes. It also provides a link to Salary Circular 801, information about the EBA Implementation Forum and a copy of the Implementation Guide. So let's move to the implementation guide then, and we'll bring that up on screen, and then we can talk through some of the larger implementation pieces. So on screen is the implementation guide from Bulletin 2732. As mentioned before, members should have a copy of it in front of them if they can. Section one in grey and white refers to common terms. Bree's going to take us through uh, and identify some of the important items for us to work through today. So the first item that members will see highlighted is managing conduct and performance. So Daniel, could you just take us through some of the key implementation issues with this item? 
Thank you, Bree. So uh, one of the key items is obviously the alignment of the terms from Section 2 and Section 3 of the current agreement. Now, that's an administrative amendment only. Um, but we have included some changes that were reflective in most part to the new changes with respect to the nurses agreement. So you've got some items there around uh, some natural justice during investigations, uh, efficiently managing conduct and performance where the allegations are not in dispute. Uh, managing conduct and performance where an employee is within their six month minimum engagement period. Uh, the consideration of people with disabilities when managing conduct and performance, and, and that's something that is unique to this agreement. And finally, a process to performance manage as opposed to investigate conduct or performance. People can see that uh, we've aligned that with HR and line management. Thanks, Daniel. So the next key thing to highlight will be the changes to regular part time employment. Could you take us through those? Thanks, Bree. So uh, one of the main changes here is to align the language within the regular part-time employment clause with that of the Health Professionals and Support Services Award. And this is around the components within the award of what constitutes a regular pattern of work. We've also introduced a new term that clarifies how additional hours are addressed for part-time employees. And this was to address disputes that have arisen during the life of the agreement. Uh, people can see there that the uh, alignment with respect to regular pattern of work has been assigned to HR or recommended to be assigned to HR. And with respect to the changes to how additional hours are addressed, uh, we've proposed that both HR, payroll and line management should be involved in the implementation of that matter. Great, so moving on to the next change. So this will be superannuation. What are the issues here? So with respect to superannuation, the changes here are identical to those in the nurses and midwives agreement. Um, so we've uh, clarified fund choice uh, with respect to the superannuation guarantee legislation. Uh, we've also made some minor changes to facilitate uh, the payment of superannuation uh, into the nominated account on a monthly basis. Uh, and one of the items that is uh, to promote gender equity is to uh, assure for unpaid parental leave will and now attract superannuation from 1 July 2021. So the next one is another one that's come from the nurses agreement, the lead apron allowance, and how's that going to be implemented for health and allied? Yeah, so with respect to health and allied, it's limited only to theatre technicians and interpreters. Uh, it still has the caveat around being required to use their lead apron, uh, wear a, sorry, a lead apron as part of their usual duties. Um, we've aligned this with HR, payroll and line management. We understand there has been some challenges with implementing this term. Uh, in the nurses and midwives agreement, and we're hoping that we'll be able to address those uh, as part of the current implementation for this agreement. So the next key change will be in regards to annual leave. Do you take us through those? Yeah, so with respect to annual leave, uh, there's been an increase of one week for uh, all employees. So for Monday to Friday workers, their annual leave will increase from four weeks to five weeks per annum, shift workers from five weeks to six weeks. There's also been some minor changes with respect to annual leave loading to address some ambiguity. And the annual leave loading cap for management and admin workers has been increased by 2% per annum. Predominantly, this sits within payroll. Um, there'll be a lot of questions that will come through from staff around, um, around this, uh, the introduction of this term, but we've identified it as being, uh, on our suggestion, a payroll implementation term. Beautiful. So the next one is in regards to changes to personal leave. So there's been some changes with respect to personal leave that are unique to this agreement. Um, firstly, we've obviously aligned personal leave from section two and three under section one, and, and that's a common reflect. You know, that's something that's common with a lot of terms in this agreement. Um, one of the changes here is 
allowing employees to attend registered health practitioner appointments. Um, that's an expansion of the current terms. Um, and they can now do that where they couldn't reasonably obtain an appointment at a time that didn't conflict with the employee's ordinary rostered shifts. Um, secondly, there's a change to facilitate uh, an employee to provide intention to take personal carer's leave for planned medical procedures, and that's just really to facilitate the ability for hospitals to replace people as opposed to finding out the day before or a couple of days before that there's been a planned procedure that the hospital could have made adjustments uh, a number of weeks earlier to facilitate that workforce and uh, to facilitate the workload. Uh, finally, there's been uh, an amendment with respect to the transition of personal leave between uh, employers, uh, employer respondents to the agreement. So this is aligning in, in most parts with other agreements, which allows for the translation or the transition of personal leave entitlements. Uh, and that's something that we've clarified in this agreement. Uh, it's a mixed bag with respect to, to whom we've suggested this aligns with. The first two items we've suggested are HR and line management matters. Uh, and the transition of or the translation of personal leave we've uh, recommended to assign to payroll. Um, moving on to the next page, um, we've clarified that personal leave accrues progressively during an employee's year of service. This agreement um, was somewhat uh, unique insofar as that it didn't provide clearly that leave accrued progressively. Uh, and finally, we've made some minor changes to the evidentiary requirements for carers leave, which aligns with the national employment standards. Okay, so the next lot of changes are to do with parental leave. Yes, yeah, so again, parental leave is aligning uh, in its entirety with those changes under the nurses and midwives agreement. So those watching it shouldn't be uh, too uh, unique to you in, uh, unless you are new to watching these forums. Uh, but with respect to this um, briefly, we've uh, increased parental leave from uh, up to 14 weeks now for the primary carer and two weeks for the secondary carer. Uh, we've made amendments to the clause that requires the paid personal leave component to be taken contemporaneously with the birth or placement of children or the child. We've reduced the period that an employee must work to be entitled to parental leave, now six months continuous service. We've made some amendments through the clause to address national employment standards compliance. Thanks for that, Daniel. So now could you outline the changes for long service leave? So with respect to long service leave, there's some minor changes, but again, these are reflected in the nurses and midwives agreement. Um, in essence, employees will be able to access their long service leave sooner. Um, as, uh, as of 1 July 2021, at, at, at nine years. Uh, eight years from 1 July 22 and seven years from July 23. Um, again, this is all uh, consistent or aligned with the changes more recently applied to the Nurses and Midwives Agreement. The next lot of changes are to do with public holidays. Could you take us through those changes? So uh, we've facilitated the substitution of Australia Day public holiday for a day during NAIDOC week at an employee's request. Now uh, that's consistent with the new changes in the Nurses and Midwives Agreement. One thing that is going to be a, a change that payroll would need to be uh, particularly attuned to is that we are changing the penalty rates for and roster day off benefits for public holidays under this agreement. They're now aligned to the nurses and midwives agreement. Um, what that means is that uh, Easter Saturday and Easter Sunday uh, RDO benefits are now removed from Monday to Friday workers and public holiday worked penalties are now reduced from 250% to 200%. Okay, so the next lot of key changes are to do with the statewide industry panel. So those of you that have been following nurses would know that there's been a statewide uh, industry panel now for the life of the nurses agreement uh, and it's continuing for the new agreement. 
this will be new for this EBA and it's limited only to dealing with disputes on classifications. The reason why we wanted to point it out is that this now means that employees don't need to go to the Fair Work Commission to have disputes heard about their classification or whether they're classified correctly. Um, they can now utilise the statewide industry panel. Um, we thought we would flag that because we anticipate there's going to be quite a number of applications made with and without the assistance of the HWU in the early months of this agreement. Okay, so the next thing we want to highlight is to do a secure employment. So secure employment is a, one of the government priorities and it was also a priority during bargaining from the HWU. Um, we've inserted some terms that now allow for the filling of vacant hours or of vacant positions uh, and hours and reduce the delay that currently the current agreement provided. So now you, uh, if you've got available hours that are no greater than 16 hours a week, can now be filled via department level expression of interest. And that's to increase part-time contracts and to reduce casualization within teams. If it's greater than 16 hours, you still need to go through the advertising process that the current agreement requires. Uh, employees who are on full-time, sorry, uh, part-time contracts of 37 hours a week or more will now be converted to full-time employment. And there'll also be a provision within the agreement that gives preference to existing employees, including casuals and overtime before engaging agency staff. Okay, so those were the key changes to do with the common terms. Now we'll move on to the health and allied services specific to section two. So the first change that we would like to highlight is the nauseous work allowance. Yeah, look, this is something that's been around for a little while and, and people that have been involved in this agreement for some time would recall that there has been some changes over the last few EBAs with respect to nauseous work allowance. The list of who receives the nauseous work allowance lump sum has been updated and changed. Uh, it now provides for uh, $350 per annum on 1 December 21, 22, 23 and 24. Theatre technicians will receive an additional $350 on top of the uh, broader $350. So they'll receive in total $700 per annum and their payment arises on 1 July 21, 22, 23 and 24. Okay, so the next change we'd like to highlight is to do with educational incentive allowances. So there's now an education incentive allowance and that's uh, as a result of the removal of the existing multi-skilling allowance and that'll be something that we'll be providing more information on to members through the implementation phase of this agreement. Okay and there's another change just highlighted at the bottom there to do with um, code blacks or code grey responses. So this was a key item for the HWU which uh, leading into the last couple of days of negotiations we weren't able to land on within the bargaining room but we were able to finalise with the assistance of government. Um, there's now going to be a requirement that PSAs who have to participate in code greys or code blacks will only be able to do so where appropriate training has been provided, but they'll also be uh, expected to be paid the equivalent rate of pay to the security officer grade two. So there's now a financial uh, impost on hospitals for requiring PSAs to participate in code greys or code blacks. And that will be that they'll be paid uh, uh, the equivalent to security officer grade two. There's some additional provisions in there around code grey and code black training, uh, which we encourage members to review. Um, but again, um, this is really a reflection of the HWU's priority claim and the government supporting their priority claim uh, and funding the outcome, but we'll be doing additional work with respect to that through implementation. 
Okay, now could you just take us through those changes being made to the hours of work provisions? So just wanted to flag for members that uh, for hours of work for health and allied, and we'll talk about it in a minute um, with respect to management and admin, um, there was a provision in there that made it very difficult to roster uh, above 10 hour shifts. So we've made some amendments to the hours of work clause, which now allows for up to 12 hour shifts, as long as the employee is paid no less than what they would receive under the modern award for the same length of shift. Okay, now we've got a little bit to cover here. There's a few changes that we'll need to go through regarding the Health and Allied um, Services Employees classification structure. Yeah, and look, we won't go through them intricately today because they deserve their own podcast. Um, but I just wanted to flag for members that there will be changes or there are changes to a number of classifications, namely the instrument and theatre technicians, food services, general services, pathology collectors, allied health assistants and healthcare workers. Um, that will be uh, required to be assessed uh, and there'll be provisions in the agreement with respect to the assessment and the timeframes for those. We've also introduced two new classifications, lifestyle assistance and complementary therapy workers. Okay, and the next change we want to highlight is the removal of a few redundant clauses. Only a few. Um, and again, we're not going to go through them piece by piece, but we encourage members to just ensure that where you're paying these allowances currently, that you can delete them once the agreement comes into effect. They've now been removed from the agreement. Okay, so that was the key items from the Health and Allied Services section. Now we'll move on to section three, which is all about the managers and admin workers. So the first point here we want to highlight is the changes to the hours of work provisions. Yeah, and as I mentioned earlier, um, the same arrangements with respect to the management and admin as it was for Health and Allied. We're allowing for up to 12 hour shifts to be rostered uh, as long as it complies with the Health Professionals and Support Services Award. And there's some additional changes to highlight um, regarding the worker wellbeing and employment support officers. So these are new classifications that the party sought to introduce to address recommendations out of VARGO and to also to address some government and departmental policies. Um, there's four new classifications. One is a worker wellbeing officer. The next is an Aboriginal employment support officer, disability employment support officers and veteran employment support officers. They have their own descriptors. They're in the rear of the agreement uh, and we encourage members to uh, review those and try and explore opportunities to recruit those into your service to try and address those matters out of VARGO and government, government policy and priorities. And similarly, we have some changes, which again, we won't go through in detail here, but um, a summary, I guess we can give of the translation of managers and admin workers um, at Royal Children's Hospital and Royal Women's Hospital only. Yeah, more just a flag for our friends that are watching from the women's and children's um, that there are some additional changes with respect to uh, translation uh, within the grade one to grade two structure. Uh, and we just encourage uh, those two health services to uh, to review those and ensure they're implemented. And the rest of the classification structure, so that excludes Royal Women's and Royal Children's. And this has been a topic that's, uh, you know, obviously attracted a lot of interest since we put the agreement out to ballot. Um, but in essence, what's sought to be introduced is that uh, Grade 1A or HS1As will now be limited to 12 months experience. And from that point, they can then they are then required to be classified uh, according to their position description. Um, there's also the introduction of five levels between HS1 and HS5. Um, references to chief executive officers and community health have been deleted uh, and also employees uh, that are covered under the new HERE policy, so the Health Executive Employment and Remuneration Policy, 
aren't covered by the agreement. And that that's consistent with the newer, sorry, with the present agreement or the agreement that um, was uh, covering from 2016 that didn't cover GSERP or people who are covered under GSERP contracts. Okay, and again, similarly to Health and Allied, there have been a few redundant clauses removed. That's correct. So again, you don't need to go, I'm not going to go through these line by line, um, but again, there might be some provisions in there um, that health services are offering and you just need to ensure that you uh, delete those. So thank you for taking us through the key changes. Uh, what are the next steps? So as mentioned, we've lodged the agreement with the Fair Work Commission and we anticipate that it will be approved relatively quickly and that may occur prior to Easter. Uh, once the agreement is approved by the Fair Work Commission, it comes into effect seven days from that approval. In anticipation of that, we'll host the EBA implementation forum. Again, that's on the 1st of April and we'll provide more advice via podcasts in the coming months. So what if the agreement is approved close to Easter and this causes additional workload stress on payroll? So we've had preliminary conversations with the HWU about the timing of back pay if the approval coincides with Easter. It's been broadly accepted between uh, VHIA and the HWU that it's in everyone's interest not to implement back pay during the Easter periods. That's good news. So if members have any questions about implementation, who should they contact? So members are encouraged to inquire by email to query at vhia.com.au or by telephone on 9861 Beautiful. Thanks for taking us through the implementation guide. Thank you, Bree.